All right, we're going to get in First Peter. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, as we are here this morning, our world is in pain. Right now, this morning, there are all kinds of families uh, lost in grief, lost in lost in loss. Uh, they've lost loved ones. There's been atrocious attacks. And um, Father, I pray you could use that to drive people to you where they haven't seen a need for you before. They might suddenly see a need for you now. And Lord, um, this morning we're going through a whole section where Peter talks to the elders. And uh, there are some lessons for all of us, but primarily talks to leadership this morning. So we seek you as we walk through that. Help us understand it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to First Peter. We're starting chapter 5. And uh, it's up on the screen as well if you want to follow along. It reads like this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Other translations say shows grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So we're going to break this up into three parts this morning, like it is on the screen. And let's go back to the first part, reread that, and then we'll begin to walk through it. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording, over, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, if you look up this word elder, I think we should start there. Um, I, any commentary will tell you. I use the expositor's Bible commentary. But when you look that word up, there's two words. Elder is presbyteros, which denotes the dignity of the office. And overseer is episkopos, which denotes its function to oversee. You recognize those words, presbyteros, we get for the Presbyterian church, right? Uh, many of you are familiar with the Presbyterian church. And episkopos uh, would be the Episcopalian church, right? So if you wonder where those names come from, Presbyterian and Episcopalian, you now know they're for words for elder and overseer that are found in the Bible. And what that tells you is both of those denominations had uh, amazingly biblical beginnings when they started. Now, some of them may have drifted like the YMCA from their original course of charter, but they actually took those names from the Bible. That's how they came up with the name Presbyterian and Episcopalian is this uh, word for elder and overseer. So Peter's talking and he's talking to the elders and he gives them three things. He says, first of all, I am a fellow elder. All right, I'm a fellow overseer. And uh, notice Peter uh, assumes commonality with them, right? He's not talking as the Pope here. He's talking as a fellow elder, all right? And then he says, uh, I was a witness of Christ's suffering. So in other words, he's saying, look, I'm not just talking about it's not hedging. I was there. 
Okay, this is an eyewitness account. I saw it happen. And so, i.e., you should probably take what I'm seeing, saying fairly seriously, right, in case you didn't get the point. And then three, I'm a sharer also of the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter, John, and Paul all point really significantly to the glory that is going to come when Christ comes back. And what all of them say is that, you know, I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and I know there's suffering, and I know there's hard things going on, especially... If you are in leadership. But he says, I want you to know the glory that's going to be revealed is beyond anything that you can comprehend right now. So in that leadership, serve well. And that's going to be the thrust of what he uh, talks about. Now, I think this connects to us very closely because at Norfolk here, we are an elder run church. In other words, we have an elder board and we're an elder run church which means it's overseen and led by the elder team, of which I am one. So I am one among equals, all right? I happen to be the lead pastor, the teaching pastor, so I have a specific set of responsibilities that go with it. The other guys have a different set of giftings and a different set of uh, requirements that they, but we all serve together uh, on the team as elders together. And in that, What we work for that we want you to know is what's called unanimity. You go, wow, that's a big word, unanimity. Is that a Greek word? No, it's just a long English word, all right? Um, But what unanimity means is that we strive for consensus of both spirit and decision, all right? In other words, we know if these different personalities can come to agreement on something that most of the time we'll hit it right. And so we seek to come to consensus or unanimity when various decisions, various challenges, various opportunities come our way. We try to discern with us, is the Lord in the midst of that? Is that something that um, we sense him moving us towards? First, Paul says in Timothy chapter 3, this, he who aspires to the office of overseer aspires to a good thing. So Paul says that, It's a good thing if you aspire to the office of an overseer. And so if you wanted to be an overseer here, there's a couple things that you have to uh, be aware of. Number one, uh, it's a good thing if you're a member of the church. Well, first thing is it'd be good if you're saved. All right, that would help. All right, so if you're actually a Christian and a Jesus person, that would make kind of a difference, all right? But then secondly, that you're a member of Norfolk. That means Norfolk is your home church. This is where you anchor at. And in that, uh, when it comes to becoming an elder, if you aspire to be an elder, we uh, are looking for where you've served. We don't want you to come on the board and say, hey, I'm going to offer all this great leadership if you haven't already served in some capacity in the body before that. The third thing we're looking for is I go to Diana. I don't know names or amounts, but when we put together a list for potential elders, one of the things we go and ask Diana is, do they give on a regular basis? We don't even ask if you tithe. We just, do they give on a regular basis? Does it look like you that they're committed to giving? And if the answer is no, then that disqualifies you from operating as an elder because as an elder, you've got to contribute to the body. And so if you aspire to be an elder, that's a good thing. What does it mean to aspire? Aspire has to do, aspiration means motive. In other words, it's good to have the motive to want to be an elder. And so aspire means what's your motive? And the motive has to be the desire to serve. Notice how Peter lays this out in that verse. It says, 
be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so there's a, a critical principle here in terms of uh, the desire and the willingness to serve. And that means you're not coming at it because you want to be the big man, uh, nor to be the boss, nor to call the shots, nor for prestige and status. If you're into being an elder for prestige and status, you're an idiot, all right? Because there just isn't any reward to it, all right? And there's a lot of grief to it and a lot of sacrificial service. So uh, I hope that isn't your motive. But the motive should be to serve. Like Christ served, and usually uh, when we think of Jesus, how do we think of him? Sacrificially, right? And so that, that's true of elders as well. Because why? The elders are answerable to the chief shepherd for their service, right? They're not necessarily answerable to the body, although they are, but chiefly they're responsible to the chief shepherd for their service. I thought it would be good just to... Um, give you a picture of who our elders are in case you're saying, going, who are the elders at Northview? Uh, Dave Weed and Brian DeYoung just stepped off. We had the ceremony a couple weeks ago and we transitioned uh, two new guys on. So you can see up here, obviously you know me, Bob Cook teaches at Heatherwood Middle School and he's a middle school teacher. He's sitting right over there in the nice orange shirt that you can spot him with. All right. So Bob's a teacher. Al Robert uh, it deals in insurance. He's got his agency right in Mill Creek there by the town center. And so Alan Paula. And then you have Rich Garrett. Rich works for Boeing. He's a estimator for Boeing and uh, uh, been involved here as well. Shannon, obviously. You know, he, Shannon's the one with the beard, right? Uh, Walt also deals in insurance. And Walt and Linda uh, have been tied in here. And then Steve Doton. Steve had been on the board, was on the original board of the church, went off took a break, and then has come back on. Of that, I think what's important to note is that um, Walt and Steve and Rich were all original members of Northview in the founding. All right? So that goes back, not even, it goes past not only just Jackson High School when we first met there, but all the way back to North Shore when it was first being formed. And then Shannon and Lisa uh, came and showed up at Jackson High School, and so they go back to the beginning era as well. And so I think that's important because that means there's people on the board that know the history. They know the DNA. They know what the the tribal language has been and what has God done all the way through the history. But we also have some new people. Bob and Trisha are relatively new. And why that's exciting is because they only know this, right? This is all it's ever been, okay? And they only see in that window. But that's important because a lot of you only know this, okay? Like I'm talking Jackson, Archbishop Murphy, you're going, what? Okay, that was that's a you know long long time ago, right? So we want to kind of mix and match the board so that there's expressions of, of within the body. They're great guys, and I would tell you that it has been an absolute privilege to serve as the lead pastor here because our boards have been awesome, awesome men, awesomely supportive, awesomely supportive of Pam and I and the family, fantastic guys in the church body, um, healthy. It's just been a great deal. And uh, I just want you to know that. First Timothy and Titus. First Timothy 3 and Titus. Oh, I went past there, sorry. Um, there's a real key factor when it comes to eldership. Uh, in the ASV version, it says an elder must not be contentious. Right? You can see up here some other um, 
One's, uh, ESV and NIV would say an elder must not be quarrelsome. Uh, NASB, New American Standard, uh, would say peaceable. It does the flip of the word. It says instead of quarrelsome, it should be peaceable. And uh, King James has uh, a great one. It says you shouldn't be a striker, right? A striker, you understand, lashes out, right? Either with your fists or with your words. And um, when it's talking about an elder, uh, another word you could use is argumentative, right? Or we would use the word pugnacious, just always in your face, always in your grill, always got to get their point across. If there's eight pieces to the pie of conversation, they take up six of them, right? Till everybody agrees with them. They just wear people out. And we watch very carefully for that. As we look over potential candidates for elder, one of the questions we ask is, are they contentious? Are they contentious in the church? Are they contentious in their marriage? And are they contentious in their family? In other words, how much muck do they kick up? Or are their family, is their family at peace? Are their children at peace? Do they operate in peace when they operate in the church? And we found that to be uh, very important. In other words, elders must be in control of their emotions and thoughts. And the reason for that is they have to be able to weigh matters thoroughly. Often when something pops on the church, what it looks like in the beginning and what it really is are two different things. And elders have to sit back and say, okay, wait a minute. What's the issue here and what's the bigger picture, right? They have to be able to weigh it with wisdom. And so we're looking for guys like that. They must have the ability to step back and assess and above all, pray and discern what the Lord wants in that. In other words, this looks like a tremendous opportunity. Does the Lord actually want us to take that step? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And if you miss on that, it has critical impacts within the body. And so much of what you experience here, this building, the build-up, it's just a miraculous story, was really the very wise decisions of elder boards previous who said, this is the way the Lord wants us to step. Let's step. It took tremendous effort, took tremendous sacrifice. But we all went in one accord because the board said, we really believe this is the step that Jesus wants us to take. And so... That's why it's so important because we need to know the Lord's heart on those matters. Peter goes on to say this, When the chief shepherd appears, then you will receive a crown of glory which will never fade away. Notice that, guys on the board, your reward isn't here. All right? It, you don't get it now. It comes when Jesus comes back. And, and uh, all of Scripture says that crowns are available to us if we serve in our position well. And that would be true for all of us, but it's especially true for an overseer or an elder uh, if they serve well. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now notice in the middle of the passage it says, in the same way. So it's talking about the need, Peter's talking about the need the critical need for elders to operate in humility and then saying to those under the leadership of the elders in the same way, you need to walk in humility as well. In other words, as the elders submit to the chief shepherd, so those younger should submit to the elders. And here we've got the, you know, the classic generation gap, right? Old fogies against young whippersnappers. And, uh, Ah, you guys are so slow. You just ran out of testosterone. You know, that's why you pray. You got nothing else in the tank. You can't do anything else. Let it have us and we'll get her done, right? And you got this war between the gap and the, and the generations there. 
And that uh, can show up in the church. And Peter says, all of you what? Clothe yourself in humility. In other words, just like we put on clothes today, the attribute that needs to be wrapped in terms of the church when we come is one of humility. Okay? And the opposite of that, of course, is what? Pride. So Peter's saying those who are leaders and those who follow the leaders, both sets need to clothe themselves in humility. Right? And when he's saying that, the reason is that because pride is not a respecter of generations. Right? How, is, there, is there actually uh, pride in the church? Right? There is. And we can get in trouble when we think we're really hot stuff. By the way, you know who the worst offenders of that are? The pastors, right? Think you're really hot stuff, really do something for Jesus and start telling everybody else how they should be doing it too. And thanks for playing, right? So pride is that sin. um, I call it the great hidden sin. Uh, We can see it in others, but it's invisible in us, right? By the way, someone once told me, and I think it's true, if somebody really irritates the heck out of you and they just bug you to death, it's probably because there's something that's similar in them that's to you. You just don't see it in you, right? And so if somebody really irritates you, you should go to the Lord and say, do I struggle with that too? You know, kind of thing. And you find out that often, wow, yeah, I do, rats, right? Then you got to pray about it. Young guys, it's not easy to follow the lead of older guys, right? Yeah, this is true at work, right? If you've got a boss, it's not easy to follow that lead. It's not easy to follow the lead in the church. Um, you know, and like I said, as young guys, we just want to get her done. We're, we're caught up in the brilliance of our ideas. You know, the older you get, the more you pray. And I think that's because when you get older, you realize what an idiot you were when you were young, right? And one of the things you need to know about our board that I think is really special uh, and and what makes it so uh, such a joy to serve on is that we take the prayer side very seriously. Uh, after Sundays like this, when you come up and talk to me and we have people come together and join, what uh, often we'll do is I, on Monday I make a whole list of people who've asked for prayer and what we know has come through the grapevine or like if you filled out a prayer request and put it in the box and said, hey, our, our family's going through it right now. We just could really use prayer for her. And you, you list out the things. We spend a minimum of 40 minutes every board meeting praying through those lists together because we know that we get a lot farther if Jesus were to heal us than if we tried to fix people ourselves. And we also know that unless we're healed, we aren't going very far as a church anyways. And so as a board, um, we've just instituted the practice of every board meeting. We spend the first at minimum 40 minutes spent in prayer for the body and for what God wants us to do. If I attended here, that would be music to my ears. I would be going, that's the kind of group I could follow because I know they're seeking the Lord's heart on that. So let's look at some of these mandates from Peter here. If we put those two together, first thing he says is shepherd with integrity. To those of you in a leadership position, this would be the elders, but also if you teach Sunday school, you work with the children, you do youth group, you know, that kind of stuff, shepherd with integrity. Don't just do it because you, it's the thing you do. Do it with the right heart. Do it with the right motive. Shepherd with integrity. The second thing he says, it's not a have to, it's a guess to. Remember he said, don't lead because you must. Well, I guess I have to. You know, an, an elder 
Serving because he has to is about as good as a 13-year-old who has to do chores. Right? It's just a lost cause because the attitude stinks. Right? And if you've got elders who have to, that just is not a good recipe for anything going well in a church at all. It says don't do it because you have to. Do it because you get to. Do it because God has asked you to and do it as unto service to him. All right? Third thing that he says is don't be greedy. There's several types of greed that can come into the role of uh, elder or overseer, uh, particularly uh, the, the lead pastor or overseer uh, can be prone to this. I looked up, there was an article on MSN this week, and it had the top salaries of pastors in America today, right? Many of them are televangelists. I'll just give you the hint, all right? And uh, one guy is worth almost a billion dollars. And I'm thinking, a billion dollars? I'm in the wrong business. I need me some of that, right? No, by the way, Northview takes very good care of us, right? It's fine. But there are people who use the platform for gain. And and Scripture warns against that. Uh, Nothing wrong with making a living off it. Nothing wrong with serving well. Nothing wrong with feeding the ox while he threshes, all right? That's a great thing. Um, that's Old Testament and New Testament. Anyways, so, but there's another thing where you use it uh, for incredible gain for yourself. And uh, uh, looked at some of these guys, 760 million, 68 million, 40 million. Uh, we're talking lots of money. There's also a gain in terms of status. Some guys feel really insecure and so they get in the pulpit because it feeds their ego and they're doing it not because they want to serve people, they're doing it because it makes them feel good. There's some wound, oftentimes a father wound, that's never been healed. And so they, they um, use uh, the pulpit so they can um, get their ego stroke. Uh, I'm guilty of that, by the way. I just let you know. Uh, and I got rebuked by the Lord big time on that back in the day when I was the youth pastor at North Shore. I've told that story before here where God humbled me greatly because he said, no, nah, you're not interested in me. You're just interested. In them. You're mad at them because they aren't doing what you want them to do. And that makes you look bad and you want to look good. So your motive is to look good, not to really minister the gospel. Man, I got slam danced on that deal. OK, which tells you you can repent and course correct. But that would be a good thing to avoid. All right. And so it can be financial, it can be status, it can also be power. There are people who seek those roles because they like power and they want to leverage people and they want a place where they can uh, force an opinion or tell others what to do. And Peter warns against us here in the strongest way, don't do that, don't be greedy that way. The other one is if it's the power one is don't be a bully, right? Right? Uh, don't bully the people. You know, they're, they're bad shepherds, right? If you think of people who herd sheep, there are bad shepherds and good shepherds. Some people who are shepherds really care about the flock and the well-being of the flock. Some people just care about the wool and the mutton, and they couldn't care less how they treat them, right? And so uh, that's true in churches. There's some pastors that are really good and care about the flock. There's some who just care about where it gets them, and so they bully the sheep. And one of the things I've tried really hard to work at is to not pound our people, right? Not to beat them up. You get beat up in the week enough without coming to church on Sunday and getting beat up more with all that you are or aren't doing, right? It's the Spirit's job 
to to uh, exhort. It's a spirit's job to rebuke. It's a spirit. Now he may use me to do that, but I don't have to beat you up to do that. Right? I think the Holy Spirit knows how to do that. And I go off the adage in Proverbs: a soft word can break the bone. Often, when I'm the quietest, is when God gets at you the most. Right? So, not be a bully. Often we uh, we do this in our parenting. Right? We become bullies in our parenting. And Scripture is saying, don't do that. Don't be a bully. Be gentle. Be kind. Why? Because God's gentle and kind. The reward is an unfading crown of glory. God does recognize service. God does recognize when you've gone sacrificially out for the kingdom in whatever capacity you're doing it in. And therefore, he says, uh, know that when I come back, you will receive a crown. He says that especially to elders who have served well. And then the last one is this one. Be humble. The universal principle is that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? God opposes proud people, but he gives grace to humble people. Where do you think this comes from? I think it comes from Peter looking back and realizing he wasn't exactly the most humble person back when he actually walked with Jesus. Matter of fact, I think Peter looked back and he can see more of what he didn't get than what he did get. He heard what Jesus said. He was just tracking on another track and he was thinking about it, about how he was going to come ahead in this whole deal. And so often he tried to outjump the Lord. And I think he's looking back and going, wow, I had a lot of pride. I blew it. Whew. I wish it had been more humble. You know, if you, if you think about it, when he looks back, he, I think he realized he and his friends, you know, the other disciples, they really didn't do a very good job of following their leader, the Lord Jesus if you remember, right, Peter actually rebuked Jesus because Jesus said he was going to die. And what did Peter say? God forbid that would ever happen to you. And, and what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? So Peter's working agendas with Jesus because he wants it to have a certain outcome. He wants Jesus to win, and then he wants to be in the winner's circle with him. And he's saying, this is a great idea. Jesus never talked about winning. He talked about the kingdom. Right? That's a very important point for us as, as Americans. I was listening to Eric McTassis yesterday talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, you know, we celebrate Bonhoeffer's life, but Bonhoeffer didn't win. They hanged him. Right? He didn't win. What he did was obey. What we celebrate is his obedience, not the winning. And often uh, we even measure the church and say, gosh, we're not winning. Right? Even I do that. Well, that's true. We're not. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be humble. What were the disciples doing right even before the Last Supper? They were arguing about what? Who would be the greatest of them all? Who was king of the hill? Who was the heap on the dog pile? Who was, right? Who's the top dog? And they were arguing. Obviously, they thought Jesus wasn't listening. And then when Jesus came and said, well, what were you talking about? They lied. Right? They're just like us. Oh, nothing. You know, it's not a big deal. They were jockeying for position. And Peter now looks back and goes, Oh, we were idiots. What were we doing? So as an elder now, he's going and saying, Hey, don't do what we did. Don't jockey for position. Don't bully each other. Don't rub the shoulder and bully your way in. Serve. Do what Jesus intended us to do. You know, do we ever do that? Yeah, unfortunately we do, don't we? Right? 
we tend to not be humble and we tend to um, run into trouble because when we start acting in pride, we find out it's not only other people in life that oppose us, but God himself starts to oppose us. We, it doesn't work very well when we're running in pride. And so, therefore, Peter says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. In other words, recognize who's who here. Recognize there is an almighty, eternal, immortal, invisible God who isn't impressed with our world, weighs the nations as in a bucket. They are but a drop in the bucket. He weighs the scale and they're like chaff in the wind. He's not impressed with the United States. He's not overwhelmed. I never thought that would happen. There is an almighty God, and Scripture says, humble ourselves under his hand. And that means he has the right to control. When we're talking about humble here, it means submission or surrender. Jesus is not looking for our acceptance. He's not up in heaven going, oh, 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 if Phil and Melissa would just accept me, I'd have a good week. That is not how it's working, folks. When he comes and says, accept me, he's saying, accept my rule, accept my authority, accept my command, come under my leadership. Let me lead you. Well, if we don't respond very well to leadership on a human level, how are we going to respond to divine leadership, right? If, ab- if power corrupts, then absolute power corrupts absolutely. Why would I go to him if everything down here is hogwash? Because he's not like here. I want to remind you that God's ways are not our ways, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that he is different than we are. So it says, humble ourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, in due time. I pointed out this before, but you probably notice it does not say your time. All right? You ever have a problem with God over timing? I've said most of the time in my life, I really haven't had, I have had, but not really had that big of a struggle with God's will. That's kind of made sense to me. What I've really struggled with is timing. I find myself either running ahead of him, trying to drag him along faster so that he can get there in time. So what's supposed to happen really does. Or I find myself dragging my feet, telling him he's going way too fast. He should slow down. Doesn't he realize that I can't keep up with him? And he doesn't seem to listen to me on that either. And, and, and so on the timing issue, I find myself going like this. What? Right? There it went. I see right as I blow by it. And I'm thinking, you idiot, you were supposed to stop three bucks back there. Okay? Now, that would mean you should pray more often because if I'm leading you and I have a problem with timing, you're in trouble. All right? But I'll bet you you have the same thing, right? You ever tried to outrun God or you ever dawdle? He's told you, I'll get to it, right, kind of thing. It says if we humble ourselves under him, get lined up with that, then we, when it says that we will, he will lift us up in due time. And therefore it requires patience, patience for God to work. It says cast all your anxiety in on him because he cares for you. This casting our anxiety. So how much anxiety do you have? Right? I have a lot. I watch what went on this week and I'm going, what is going on in our world? This is nuts. Right? Uh, just crazy stuff. And, and I have a lot of anxiety about how it's going to work. And, uh, and now I'm thinking about, okay, wow, I'm 60. I have to think about things I never thought about before. That's weird. Right? And, uh, and I think, well, my goodness, how long is my run? What does retirement look like? I'm going to retire? Oh my gosh, how does that work? How do I keep our house? How do I do it? Right? All these things I never thought about before. 
okay, because they were never on the table before. What does it say here? Cast your anxiety. I don't know how you cast your anxiety on him unless you pray. Right? If you don't pray, you never take it off your shoulders. If you don't pray, you can't give it to somebody else. I've talked long and hard and encouraged us, especially couples, the need to pray together. Okay? The need to pray together. How do you get rid of your anxiety unless you pray together and you cast it to him? You can't cast it unless you release it. You can't release it unless you pray. All right? Let's get this really clear. If we want an impotent, inept, lifeless, soulless, gutless, broken, barren church, then don't pray. Okay? This is not just about does the pastor pray. It's about does the church pray. Okay? If we don't, we're going to be blind, barren, broken, and destitute. We aren't going to have anything. If we pray, God can work in the midst of us. And all kinds of things can happen. Because we are casting the things on him we were never meant to carry in the first place. It takes humility to admit you can't fix it. It takes humility to admit you can't handle it. That it's bigger than you. And I give it to the Lord and let him take it. Because I can't carry that backpack. It's going to break me. Right? And Peter says here, cast all your anxiety on him. Where do you think he got that from? Don't you think Peter looked back on the garden at that time and was full of anxiety? Don't you think, what, was, what do we know about Peter and the disciples? They were sleep deprived. Anybody in here sleep deprived? Right? What does sleep deprivation do to you? It makes you wacky. Right? It makes you kooky. Okay, he was massively sleep deprived. He was full of anxiety what they were doing to Jesus. He got in the high police thing and all of a sudden he started to be confronted. He just wasn't ready to be confronted. So he tried to fudge his way through it. The more he fudged, it turned from fudging into lying. And once it turned into lying, he just went downhill and it just to the point where he cursed and swore in front of a 12-year-old girl that he didn't know Jesus. That's bad, right? What does that mean? Peter looked back on that and says, hey, you know, I probably wasn't praying the best way I should have. What was Peter interested in? Doing, not praying. And now he's saying to the elders, you know what? Humble yourselves. Cast your anxiety. Where did he learn that from? He learned that from his own experience. You know, as I mentioned, um, young men like action. Old men tend to learn that they have to pray because they learned that their action didn't produce what they thought it would produce. And so, and then here's the last part. What's the very last thing that... Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. When we're full of anxiety, the thing we drop out the bottom of the bucket, we forget he cares for us. We forget he knows all our needs. We forget that nothing surprises him. Over and over and over, Scripture says God cares for us. He says a bruised reed he will not snap, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He knows the brokenness. He knows the place. And he's saying, hey, remember something. I care for you. Do you need to hear that today? Do you need to hear that from Jesus? I care for you. That's not Steve saying that. That's the Lord saying that through his spirit. Remember, cast all your anxiety and why? Because he cares for us. We're his church, right? He loves his church. He doesn't care how messed up you are. 
He loves you. He found you. God does not redeem junk. If you were adopted, adoption is always an intentional process. It didn't happen by accident. That means it was very intentional. He knew exactly who you are. He knew exactly what the baggage was. He knew exactly what the sin was. And he chose you anyways. Isn't that amazing? That's what Peter's saying. You know what? I was an idiot. I blew it. I botched it big time. I should have been completely kicked out. And yet he was kind to me. And because he's been kind to me, he'll be kind to you. Therefore, cast your anxiety on him. Humble yourself under his mighty hand that he can lift you up in due time. Well, that leaves us with some things this morning. Who needs to humble themselves, right? I'm not going to have you raise a hand or stand up. Yeah, like we would do that. But who needs to humble themselves? And who's loaded with anxiety this morning and forgot to pray this week? And you just came all wired, all jacked up at church, right, inside. And Lord's saying, hey, could we talk? You want to talk together? Could we spend some time talking? Peter's here. Who's he saying this to? He's talking to exiles. Are exiles known for their peaceful situations? Do exiles have it all together? Do exiles have a lot of anxiety? They had a lot of anxiety in that church. And Peter's saying, I understand that. I was an outcast like you as well. I know what it feels like. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because God cares for you. He cared for them. He cared for Peter. He cares for them. He cares for us. He is with us till the end of the age. As far as I know, the end of the age is when he comes back. So we haven't hit it yet. That means he's still with us. He said he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Let's hang on to that promise. Let's pray. Father, when we come, I'm trying to make you look good. I don't have to do that because your spirit does that. But you are gentle and you are kind. Most of us know we should have gotten our butts kicked on a lot of stuff. And you didn't. You're very gracious. And we forget that. In the pressure and the heat of the moment, we freak out and we grab control and then everything goes kapucky and then we can't figure out what went wrong. Lord, could we just stop for a minute, stop today and just remind ourselves that you care for us? Remind ourselves that humility is something Peter learned the wrong way. He's trying to get us to not make his mistake. A reminder that you've called us to things and what you've called us to do, we need to do well as unto you, not for human reward or gain. And Lord, uh, as we think through that this morning, there's probably a number of really good connect points in a conversation with you and the Holy Spirit. May that be true. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.